Amen, Chapel family. I know it's going to be hard to lure people back in with all the bacon. I should have had the bacon in the front of here. I don't know whose water this is. Come on in. If you're eating bacon, grab some strips. Please don't wipe it on the seats. Wipe it on your neighbor if you must. Well, as you can tell, Father's Day is, for me, a very joyous day because I have the most incredible, raddest dad in the world. His name is Yahweh, and I love him dearly, God, Jehovah, and I love bacon. Uh, this all began a few years ago at the church I was on staff at. We were sitting around as a senior management team, and we were talking about how mothers always get chocolates, mothers get flowers, and dads just get a bucket of guilt and shame and all that good stuff. So I, I said, hey, why don't we um, do something to love the dads well? And they said, what do dads love? And being a new dad at the time, I said, we, we love simplicity. All I need in my life is a few things, and one of them is bacon. So we grilled up that first year uh, approximately 75 pounds of bacon at that church. And this year they wrote me, and I said, hey, are you guys keeping the tradition alive of Bacon Fest on Father's Day? They said, absolutely. And we have for reference, 25 pounds, which by the end of it, because I, I know for me, my personal record on Bacon Fest Father's Day is 36 strips of bacon. I don't recommend that. Um, that hurts in a lot of different ways. There's no aspirin that cures the pain that comes after that. Uh, but they have 125 pounds of bacon this Sunday morning, and I already had people writing on my Facebook wall this morning, thinking of you today, Pastor Ryan, we miss you, we love you, it's not going to be the same bacon fest, and I said, no, no, bacon is always good and the same, as long as you don't have somebody messing it up in the cook's kitchen. Uh, on a side note, we order our bacon from Rick's Custom Meats, and he, he hooks us up, and, and last year we did this, because I brought this from California to Florida, because I knew that you guys like meat more than those hippie Californians, uh, so... So Rick said, you know, my daughter-in-law saw it, and she brought Bacon Fest to their church. So it's spreading like, I don't want to say like a virus because viruses are bad. It's spreading like wildfire, so bad. God's grace, I'll take that. God's grace. So a quick update for those of you who weren't available to be at the meeting last week. We had a town hall meeting. Wanted to let you guys know that we appreciate those of you who are giving generously to the chapel, those of you who... Um, meet the chapel needs week in and week out. If you would like details on that, please sign up to get receive the emails at guest services. Uh, we talked about our need as a chapel family, where we have been struggling financially, where we are doing well in other areas. We also talked about the potential coming up for some changes in this room. As you can see, if you are new here, this is not normal. So if you walked in and you thought, well, this church is weird. They have bath toys. No, this is not normal. VBS begins tomorrow. And how about this sunken ship? I mean, I don't know, this is, uh, this is Jared Weems and Greg Hart, when their powers combine with Mark Ditta doing the frame, they come up with something like this. My creativity ends after cutting out a piece of cardboard that's shaped as a triangle. Um, so thank you for those of you who came to the town hall. We did send out an email last week. We're going to send up another email this week letting you guys know the details of our plans to hopefully transition to multiple service times and some other features that will be coming for the Sunday morning experience. Now, did anyone... Hear that song during the countdown. Can anyone name that song? Turn, turn. We're kind of a younger congregation, I guess. It's turn, turn, turn by the birds. This is our sermon text for today. This is where we're finding ourselves. If you are new, welcome. My name is Ryan. I'm your pastor. We are in the middle of a 
uh, three, we are in the third part of a series on Ecclesiastes. So if you would please, this is not going to make sense, but it will, turn to Isaiah chapter 46. We are in the middle of a series on Ecclesiastes, so if you will please turn to Isaiah chapter 46. As you're turning there, uh, it's been a wild week for Orlando. It's been a wild week for Florida. It's been a wild week for the United States. A lot of stuff has gone on, and I did not plan this uh, sermon text for today after the events. This is something that when I, I laid out Ecclesiastes before the Orlando shooting, before that singer that got killed in Orlando, before that young child got taken by the alligator at Disney World, before all of these things happened, this sermon text was in place. Before those things happened, the preparation had already begun for today's sermon. Now, before we get to the text in Ecclesiastes, there's something very important that we have to do. Now, how many of you wear sunglasses? Any sunglass fans in here? Okay, I am not a sunglass fan. I don't need sunglasses for the most part. If I have put on sunglasses, it's more because I don't want to see you rather than I want to block the sun out. So one of the things that I, I don't like about it is that it changes everything. I'm used to simply seeing the world through the lens that God gave me, but I, I do recognize that for certain activities in life, you need certain types of sunglasses. For example, I love fishing. And when you fish, you can stare at the water with your God-given eyes all day long. But when you put on polarized sunglasses, what happens, fishermen? You could see right through to everything. You could see where all the fish are going. You could see if the fish is coming and moving. Today, we're starting in Isaiah, and we're going to jump to three other passages before Ecclesiastes because we need to put on this lens. We need a new lens to be able to rightly see the Ecclesiastes passage. Otherwise, we're going to walk out of here probably very discouraged. So let's put on this lens together. We're going to pray, and we're going to jump into Isaiah 46. God, Father, I thank you for, for this day. I thank you for the songs that were sung. I thank you for the Bible passages that we are going to unpack and study and pour into. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would give us eyes to see your truth. I pray in the name of Jesus that when, that when our reason hits the end of the road, we would understand that we have a reasonable faith, that we can lean on you, trust in you, to carry us through the difficult times and to give us great joy in the good times. So God, be here, I pray. Holy Spirit, come. Show us, change us, make us new. In Jesus' name, amen. This is coming from Isaiah 46, verses 8 to 11. Are you ready? Okay, I'm ready. You may not be ready. I'm ready. Anyone ready? Okay, just making sure you're with me. Remember this and stand firm. So remember this. Stand firm in this. Recall to mind. You transgressors, remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose, calling a bird of prey from the east and a man of counsel from a far country. I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. Okay, let's stop right here. Everyone say something really quick. Say, I am not God. Okay, now that we've all started with that, I need us to, to part, start putting this lens together where we acknowledge that God alone is the God of the universe, where we acknowledge that he is massively more powerful 
in, infinitely larger, infinitely more knowledgeable than we can ever, 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 ever be. And our perspective is vastly more narrow and smaller than God's. The most likely scenario, and this is in a very, very, very good uh, statistical chance that you will live maybe, maybe 90 to 100 years. Maybe. And some of you, I saw your bacon eating habits, not even going to make it. You get no 90 years. I just saw people four, five, six strips of bacon. That's okay. I'm up to 12 so far today. So 12 strips, I'm planning on meeting Jesus at a certain point. I need to work this out with my cardiologist to where I can find it when my kids are graduated college and my wife will still love me, and then I'll go be with Jesus right at that point. Boom, boom. Um, now, now, this is our thin perspective. This is a pinhole in the universe that we see just maybe 90 years of the span of history. God alone declares the end from the beginning. God alone is there when ancient times were going on, and God alone knows what is coming in the future. God alone knows the intimate details of everything working in the universe. Every planet that's going around the orbit of some star, God has ordained. Every bird flying from one branch to another, this text says every bird of prey hunts because God has sent it hunting. There is not a hawk in fish hawk that eats one of the poor little kitties without God knowing that it's going down. I know it's too soon for some of you. There is not a sparrow that falls off a branch, Jesus would say, without God's knowing, ordaining that to happen. God is so much bigger and vast than we can fathom that he has to remind us frequently in the Bible that he is God of everything, that he ordains the birds to go from here to there, that time for him is not like it is for us. Time for him isn't that he sees things kind of unwrapping and then something happens and he goes, ah, I didn't see that coming. Hashtag phrases God never said. God's never afraid of the future because he holds the future. God is never looking toward the future as in a fog. There is no fog for him. He can look with clarity at the earliest human beings and he can look with clarity at the ones who will be here when the sky is ripped open and Jesus returns. This is the beginning of our lens that we have to put on today. I'm going to flip over to Psalm 139 now. If you're flipping with me, that's great. If you're on the screen, that's great. If you don't own a Bible, steal one from the back. That will be great as well. Psalm 139, because not only is he big cosmically, not only is he big that he would create the universe to display his massive scale, he wants us to know that he did not simply wind the universe up set it on autopilot, and, and walk away. He wants to know, us to know something very specific. Psalm 139, verse 15 is where I'm beginning. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were form, formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. So it's a weird English way of saying God wrote down every day of your life where you had lived one. God intricately wove each and every one of us together. Intricately woven. Now, now a little side note. I, I need to say this because I see it as this epidemic. That there has to come a point in our lives where we stop trying to be someone else. There has to come a point in our lives where we have to stop thinking that if I just have what they have, if I just look how they look, if I just work where they work, 
then I'll have what I'm supposed to have. God has uniquely created and woven you together for his purposes. God has uniquely crafted your life to display the love of God and Jesus to the world. God has crafted your life, put you where you are, and you are a unique, beloved child of his. And God did not mess up when he was making you. He wasn't supposed to make you like someone else. I love this image of woven. So the way my brain works is that it, it rarely works well. But when I read something like woven, I picture God weaving people. So I'm like, okay, God wove us together intricately. So in my mind, I, I picture this weaving going on. And I hear people often say, well, I wish I could change this about myself. I wish I could change this. I wish I could have this. I wish I could go here. I wish I could live there. I wish my family could be this. And, and it's almost like they don't trust that God wove correctly, like that God messed up on the weaving of their life. And he didn't. I need you to know that it's not like he was weaving you together and all of a sudden an angel was like, oh, God. He goes, oh, and hooked your nose. He didn't do that. He, he made you exactly who you are. Some of you have commented, if you're new, I used to have hair before this last week. And some of you said, you look like a totally different person. I personally don't think so, but my wife would probably agree with you. Uh, I, I got rid of my hair. And, and it's amazing to me it's amazing to me how quickly some of the uh, thoughts about who God made me as an individual pop up when something happens that's out of place. When you, when you start realizing, hey, last time I shaved my head, it didn't look like this. When you start realizing that, you know, if I could only be a little bit taller, if I could only be a little this, if my nose could be this, if I could have this, and I start doing the comparison game, I'm forgetting that God wove me together, and I think too many of us often forget that God wove us together. God was there around your situation before you have recollection or memory, before one day of your life was lived. Before you were born, God had ordained that Barry Manilow sing that song that your parents would fall in love to and have on record player the night you were conceived. If you have a kid in here, sorry, you can explain that to them later. And if you don't know who Barry Manilow is, let me update this for you. God was there when NSYNC and Backstreet Boys wrote that song so that you, never mind, okay. The reality is, is that God is not just a far off deistic being that wound up the universe and said, go, I'm out of here. He said, no, I'm here in cosmic power and I'm watching the birds. I'm here and I'm weaving together every single being and I love them. I weave them together with their nuances and I, I wire in certain things to their genetic makeup and I put them in a family that's going to raise them a certain way. And some of you are already thinking, Brian, I do not like my genetic makeup. I do not like my family. What about that? We're getting there. But I need us to see that this cosmic, powerful God is ordaining every day of our life. I got a, a Father's Day card today um, and it said, I enjoy eating bacon three times a day. I keep on eating it because it takes my mind off of the pain in my chest. God knows the day I'm going. God knew the day that the 50 lives in Orlando would be taken. God knew the day that the young child would tragically wander into a water where there would be an alligator that would take him. God knows the day that I will be buried. God knows the day 
that you will be buried. God knows the moment of my last breath. God knows the moment of your last breath. Not only does he know when that last breath will come out of your mouth, he knows where the sun will be in the sky. He knows the number of birds that will be on branches around the entire earth. He knows the number of molecules floating throughout the universe at the very moment that you will exhale your last breath. He knows where all of your loved ones will be. He knows where every vehicle will be. He knows the number of hairs on every head of every human, not only right now, but on the day you breathe your last breath. This is the size and scope of the God we serve. This is the God that if we don't put this lens on, the passage in Ecclesiastes today will make no sense and will bring us pain because we will not be able to see that this God is actually in charge and in control. One more passage before we get to Ecclesiastes. I'm going to read through it quickly in the book of Acts, chapter 17. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Are we getting the scope of God's bigness? He does not need us. We need him. We cannot create God. Some people say every religion is just a human construction. God laughs mightily at that phrase. To think that we could fabricate God, to think that we could come up with these ideas of an eternal being who would send down a, a son in the midst of our temporality to take our sin upon him, to make us right with God. This is unfathomable stuff. And God has ordained that these pieces be so. And I love this passage. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. I know I probably say that a lot, but this is really one of them, like top 20, maybe top 10. I'm going to go top five, final answer. God is not served by us as though we need anything. He gives life and breath and everything. It's like Paul is saying, he gave you your life. And he keeps thinking, the gerbil keeps ticking on the wheel. No, he, not, not, he gave you your breath. The gerbil starts running a little bit faster. He gave you everything. And that, at that point, you drop the mic and you walk away. And then he says, and I love this, through one man, he, he made every nation on mankind to live on all the face of the earth. For those of you who don't know the story of Babel in Genesis chapter 11, the people of the earth were conspiring to build a tower to God. They wanted to make their own way to God, make their ladder to achieve God, to be closer to God, to be like God, to be God. And God said, um, uh-uh, that's a translation. And, and he took them and he dispersed them around the world, changed their languages, changed their, their backgrounds. They couldn't communicate any longer with each other. Boom. And from that one event, all the races and ethnic groups of the world came. And let me be clear, in case because we're, we're predominantly like a white area, in case you're thinking, oh, that's where they came from, no, that's where you came from. Like, we didn't start out white, okay? Man started over there, and then whew, God made the world, and he ordains all of these pieces for a purpose, and the purpose leads us to the birds. Turn, turn, turn. Turn, turn, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. It, it, this song 
it's like it's one of those few songs that won't go away, right? It, it's, we start to forget it, and then Forrest Gump comes out. And we're like, no! And then right now we're starting to forget the song, and it's probably going to come out in some kid's movie in three years. And then we're, no, not again! Because not only is it uh, amazingly lasting, but you cannot get this song out of your head. It will stick in your head now for the next seven pieces of bacon. To everything, there's a season. Turn, 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 turn. Ecclesiastes 3. Do you have your lens on? God, cosmic, big, huge, intimate, there, involved, every day of your life, every moment, everything in the planet, everything in the universe, God sees, God knows, God has, God is ordaining. Let's read. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek, and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away, a time to tear, and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, a time for peace. Turn, turn, turn. Now, if, if I didn't have this lens on of God's sovereign, cosmic, mega-sized perspective and power, I would be inclined to approach this list with quite a bit of despair and sadness. And if I'm being honest, I would rather approach this list like a buffet, but it's not a buffet. We need to think of this list, as in life, as the ingredients that God is using to build us together, to build us for a specific purpose, because our perspective is a narrow, at best, 90 to 100 years, and God's perspective is the millenniums. God's perspective is the millions of years God's perspective, I don't know how long this is going to go on, billions of years. And we have this 90-year thread, and God is saying, I'm taking the thread of your life, and I'm painting a tapestry. You might not always get it, but I need you to know that I have a grander purpose for what is in store, and I love you. Now, if we come to this list as a buffet, we're just going to take what we like, right? If I, if I come to this as a buffet, uh, born or die, I'm going to choose born. Plant or pluck up. I, I probably want to plant because plucking up is a lot of work that's very sweaty and laborious. Time to kill or heal. Heal every time, right? It's a time to laugh or weep. My favorite is laughing until I weep, but that doesn't happen very often. But I'd love to do that. Uh, but laughing. A time to mourn and a time to dance. That's hard because there's Baptists here. You guys don't dance. Um, it's like 50-50 on that one maybe. I don't know. I don't know where that goes. A time to embrace and refrain. I want to embrace. A time to seek or lose. I want to seek. A time to tear or time to sow. I want to sow. A time to keep silent, a time to speak. Obviously, I want to keep silent. No, I want to speak. I have what God calls a voice to carry. Mother calls it and God calls it that probably. My kindergarten teacher called it that. So this is not a buffet, however. This is ingredients. Now, how many of you love cake? Anyone love cake in here? Not everyone loves cake, but okay. How many of you have eaten cake in the last year? How many of you have ever just taken uh, a cup of raw flour, 
you started pounding that with total joy. Just, mm, come on, mm. No, nobody? Nobody just regularly pours flour into a jug and just spoons it out like they're eating chocks? Nobody? Okay. Um, we all know, right, that you can't have cake without flour. And, and I'm not talking about the crazy gluten people that make cake with applesauce, okay? I'm talking about real red-blooded American cake. Okay, not an applesauce, half of a vegan egg white. I don't know what that means, okay? Red-blooded American cake, flour, egg, milk, ingredients. I don't know anybody that says I love flour. I know a lot of people that love cake. This list, these are ingredients of life under the sun. Because in, in our world, it's been broken by sin. And the Ecclesiastes uses the phrase, under the sun. So Solomon is saying, in this life, the way it is, with all of the jacked up, broken, sinfulness, tragic, deaths, illnesses, all of these things, in this life, this is the list of ingredients that we can all get, that we can all be prone to. And you may think that you only want one side or the other, but I promise you, I promise you, if you meet someone, for example, who has never gone through a difficult time, who has been sheltered by their parents all the way up into their 20s, 30s, 40s, oftentimes those are some of the most miserable people. They've never mourned. They've never had to sow things that have been torn. They've never had to work. They've never had to plant or pick up. They've never had to gather. They've just been spending, living. We know what these people are like because we have celebrities and I'm not saying every celebrity is this way, but I am saying that it's shocking the number of people who grow up with absolute privilege and not many boundaries and not much grief. It's shocking how their life can turn haywire in a second. God wires these ingredients into our life, mourning and joy, peace, love, hate, sadness, planting, because he is building something greater more beautiful and more full of his love than he could otherwise in the condition of this world under the sun. So the, the question is, why, God? That's what I found myself asking. I found myself asking why quite a bit this last week. Because we had the, the largest shooting in American history. God, why? And we have literally thousands of people, and this is just me, this is not, in my opinion, saying some of the most asinine things that I'd heard in years. Absolute ridiculousness. Christians, quote, saying, this is God's wrath being poured out. Oh no, you don't want to see God's wrath being poured out. If they think that's wrath, they have no idea that they're not putting on the lens that we put on in the beginning. Because the wrath of a cosmic, massive, all-controlling, breath-giving and taking away God, it's, it's, not, it's not a handful of magazine clips. That's not the go-to move when you're the sustainer of the universe. It's more like, oh, what can I do? I can suck all of the oxygen. Oh, wait, no, I can just snap. Done. I can send... Hurricanes, fire, no, let me, this is my wrath. This little tiny, 
so I find myself thinking these, these people are acting like absolute lunatics. And then on the other side, the politicizing of these events crushes me. We're, is anyone else weary of the script? Something tragic happens. The next day, there are two things that are talked about. We're going to talk about gun control, and we're going to talk about terrorism and radical Islam. And you know what the weirdest thing is? And this is just me. So if you don't know me, I, I moved from California, so some of the Floridians, they think I'm fruity and nutty. But I love Jesus and the Bible, so you can hopefully I'll stand there. And, and just me, I'm tired of the fact that we only talk about one or the other. Like, can we just talk about everything together? Can we say, is, is there a problem with radical Islam? I've, I've read the Quran myself multiple times now. I, I breezed through it. I didn't do a deep reading this week, but I wanted to just verify as I was prepping for this sermon. Okay, I'm going to jam to the Quran over a few days. So I was doing that. I was listening to some of it in my car. And, and I thought, okay, I do think that this religion leads to more radicalization of its adherents. Leads to. It doesn't mean that everyone that is a Muslim believes that but leads to. And, and then on the flip side, um, I, I get it. You guys love your guns down there. Some of you have more guns than, than you probably know what to do with. Some of you have so many guns, you don't know how many you have. I like guns. I'm, I'm pro-gun. But at what point does it become crazy? Like at, at what point does like the, the seventh AR assault rifle or AR-15, at what point does like a sniper rifle make sense? At what point are you not hunting anymore but you just have a small private militia that all has the same last name as you. At what point? I, I'm just, I want to say this. And I'm not picking on anybody. I don't know what's going on in your own life. And I'm, like I said, I'm pro-gun, but I'm, I'm pro-reason. What can we do to take positive steps so that we don't have to suffer through the bad half of this list constantly? Because this week has been a week full of killing. It's been a week full of breaking down. It's been a week full of mourning. It's been a week full of uh, casting away. It's been a week of not embracing those that we've lost. It's been a week where we've lost. It's been a week where we've, we've been tearing and not sowing politically, religiously. Now here's what I need us to understand. The, the tiny, microscopic speck that is our existence, God wants to use that for his purposes to show people that there is a massively divine, loving Father who wants to bring his children into a relationship with him. In our small, tiny perspective, the pinhole that we can see through, sometimes we think that that's the universe, and that is not. We have to put on this lens so that we can begin to see that there is a time because of sin and brokenness. There's a time for good and bad. There's a time for pain and no pain. So what are we to do? Paul Solomon gives reasons, and I'll try to work through these as quickly as possible. Verse 9. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Everyone say beautiful in its time. Okay, so here, here's what I want us to just practically do. He has made everything beautiful in its time. I want us to find the beauty in as many situations as possible. We should be people as followers of God who can say, God, this massive being, has given us so many good things to enjoy. I am going to enjoy, I'm going to squeeze all of the joy out of life that I possibly can. 
So if you wonder why I have joy on my face today, it's because I've had 12 strips of bacon, three strips or three cups of coffee. I had a banana because I was going to start the day off healthy. That tanked quick. And I am enjoying today because God knows when I'm going to die. God has my days written in a book. Ryan Tyrone, this many days, December, whatever, January, whatever, boom, done, finally gets him. Cholesterol takes him out. But today, with, with wisdom, because this is part of the wisdom literature, I'm going to enjoy what God has given me. I'm going to enjoy our friendship. I'm going to enjoy my children because I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know where the next shooter's coming from. I don't know where the next wild animal is coming from in Florida. We have a lot of wild creatures. I saw a turtle that looked like a demon crossing the street on Fishhawk Boulevard. I don't know what was going on with its face. I just went around it because I thought between my Jetta and that turtle, that turtle walks away the victor, okay? It, I don't know. So I don't know what those things hold. We go fishing in my pond behind my house. You better believe that I take the uh, neighbor's little chihuahua before I put my kid down there. I'm not going to risk my children's life. Why are you laughing? I, wanna, I want my kids to be safe, okay? Enjoy the moment of the day. Enjoy the things that you have. Seriously. I know it's, it's all this bacon, you guys. The grease is slowing down my gerbil on my brain. So, so the first thing we need to do practically is to find joy in every single thing because God has made things beautiful in its time. If you have money, enjoy. If you have health, enjoy. Because money might be gone. Health might be gone. So enjoy the good things when you have them. If your children are in obedient, enjoy. Enjoy those moments. And if you have obedient children, tell me how you got them. Um, if your job is great, you love your boss, you love your coworkers, enjoy those moments. Because if you don't stop, hit the pause button and say, I'm going to look around, this moment is good. If you don't do that enough, it is so quickly that the roller coaster of life goes from the good times to where? The bad times. It's a blink. It, it's one phone call. It's one yellow light. It's one animal. It's one person struggling with some mental illness, sociopathic thing, taking a gun to a place. One moment changes forever. So enjoy the good times and the good seasons when you're there. And here's another reason that God has these valleys and ups and downs, these different ingredients, because he goes on to say, also he has put, is second half of verse 11, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I'm going to keep on reading. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it, for God has done it. So that people fear, in the good way fear, we're going to talk about that in a second, fear him. That which is, has been. And that which is to be, already has been. And God sees what has been driven away. This is the reality. Do good. Take joy where you're at. The other reason that God has his ingredients is because he has written eternity into man's heart. He has put that, that chasm of need in our heart that nothing can satisfy in this life. 
There are no trinkets. There are no accomplishments. There's no amount of wealth or health or family that will satisfy that need. God has written it into the heart of man. But he's done so in such a way, if you didn't catch that at the end of the verse, he's written in the heart of man, but man will not be able to find out fully what God is about. Man will not be able to identify fully the eternal need. It says, yet so he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. So we have this eternal DNA hardwired in, but we live in a temporary fleeting life. And God says, he's, man knows, we know the inclination, there's something more, something beyond. But, but we're never going to get to the point where we see it fully because God wants us to have faith. God wants us to step into the person who makes sense of this 90-year span. God wants us to come to the person acknowledging our need, that in, until, we, until we connect to something eternal, we're going to be constantly scraping and grabbing the smoke, thinking that we're going to catch something we never will, because it's an eternal need. And thankfully, God knew that we in our own capacities couldn't reach the eternal thing, so he sent himself, the eternal, timeless, sovereign king, to earth. This, this is where Jesus comes into play. We could not reach for the divine, despite the fact that every religion is trying to do that around the world, bar one, Christianity. Every religion is scraping to reach the eternal, to reach the divine. God said, there is no way they're going to reach me. I'm reaching them. And he sent Jesus Christ down to us so that we not only had to have the yearning for God's eternality, but we would know him and hear his story and see his life. And one day, I'm going to grab his hand and go for a walk. So for this moment, why has God allowed evil? If a pastor gives you some definitive answer, I mean, you're not me, so don't do what I would do. Don't just smack him and walk away. The answer is that his sovereign power and explanation and scope and size. He has allowed certain ingredients to pass through all of our lives for the good of our life, that we would have maximum joy in him for eternity, and so that Jesus would be made much of. This is the reality. Everything starts with Jesus, goes out from those concentric circles. And if you think, well, God is not fair, why would God do this? I, I need to remind you that the most tragic death in the history of humanity was God's own son. So more tragic, because no matter how you want to dice down all the stuff that's happened, the craziness that's happened, every human being has sin. Jesus did not have sin. Every human being has something they're guilty for. Jesus had nothing he was guilty for. Yet God, in his sovereign plan, in Acts 4 and Acts 2, it says it was his sovereign plan that the perfect son the divine, the God in the flesh would come and be killed for sinners like you and me so that we could finally grab on to a tangible piece of eternity that our hearts were wired to know. This is where God is when evil happens. He is in the midst of. He is holding. He is mourning with us. He is comforting those who are in grief. This is where God is when a gunman goes into a nightclub he is not powerless. He is still all-powerful. And though I don't have the answer, I am not God. 
though God may not give the answer, in this time, after every tragedy, it becomes clear. As time goes on, he had a plan. Whether I like it or whether I dislike it. And fam, sometimes I don't like God's plans because I don't see clearly. Because I'm looking through a pinhole and he's looking at a universe. But with that lens, I will trust. And with that lens, I pray you will trust and find your faith. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. God, I'm Father. I'm over the trite, feel good, surface level Christianity that doesn't want to answer the hard questions, that doesn't want to scratch under the surface. So I pray that you would give us that. I pray that our life more and more and more line up with your eternal perspective. I pray that we would stop trying to answer all the questions while looking through a pinhole in this universe, but we would stand back, throw our hearts and our face on your word, and say, Cosmic Father, Dad, help me see like you see. Help me lean on you when the ingredients are bad. Help me take joy when the ingredients are good. To Jesus be all the glory.